You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of Cure to Consumption. I am your host, Lance Lambert. Definitely stoked to have you here. Yet another week, man. Things are good vibes out there. And not just coming from the consumers, but it's definitely seeming like things are getting to a better place, which uh, is what we need. We definitely need that here. So I am stoked on who we're having this week, man. I just, I have to tell you, you know, I always have friends on and, and that's why it's so easy to have the conversations not scripted. It, it's coming up and talking about what's going on and hearing these people's stories and, and what's going on today in, in their life, but also in the industry. And uh, with that, I've got a good friend, Cameron Hatton. He's going to be joining us from Fiddler's Green, um, also known for uh, his high tide distribution solution, which we'll get into. But love his product. My gosh, it was just blazing on uh, some bud from one of his uh, uh, distro clients uh, before the show. Just phenomenal stuff. So we'll be having him call in in just a minute. But uh, yeah, it's it's been great, you guys. There's a lot of stuff coming on. Everything's opening back up in the industry, which is awesome. Um, we have some shows coming up. Uh, for those that don't know, obviously, we've got Hayes Radio sponsoring the Cannabis Awards in Las Vegas, which is going to be on... I'd say the second most popular holiday in the space. That is 710. For those that don't know, now you know. July 10th, 2021 in Las Vegas at the beautiful Harrah's Hotel on the North Las Vegas Strip. So we are looking forward to that. I will be out there as will several other hosts from shows on here. And so we're looking forward to doing that in a few months. But on that note, I believe we have Cam on the line. Cameron, are you there, my friend? I am here. How are you doing today? I am good, man. It is good to hear your voice. It's been a minute. I think the uh, the last time we caught up in person was <laughs> was safely in a parking lot in both of our vehicles in Southern California. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it sounds like the uh, traditional market days a little bit. I, yeah, right. That is. What am I saying? That's that's what we know from both the legal and the uh, traditional days, so to speak. <laughs> but uh, man, what have you been up to? You know, it's it's uh, it's definitely been crazy. But uh, I know you've had a lot going on, and, and maybe if you just want to introduce yourself to our listeners and a little bit of your background, and we'll get into your history because, man, I love your story. I, all my friends have stories, but I freaking love your your life story. So we'll get into that. But if you can just introduce yourself and where you're coming from. Yeah, my name's uh, Cameron Hatton. I'm up in Sonoma County outside of Sebastopol, and my wife and I are co-founders of Fiddler's Greens which is the first permitted farm in Sonoma County. And then we also make uh, tinctures and topicals you know, with the acidic cannabinoids and also in the neutral form as well. Yeah. And you guys, so, oh my gosh, your product. And I'm trying to think back. I think I first came across it. It's definitely been several years because you've been around for a minute. And I just remember being so impressed with the quality and consistency, but the variety too. And we've gotten into that. I know you're a bit of a, a pheno and uh, geno geek as well. Uh, in regards to some of these classic cultivars, 
But uh, man, even your tinctures, I have to tell you, you know, you guys, you always take care of me. And um, that's the one thing that's really helped get me through the pandemic. I'll, I'll say that much. I moved away from smoking for obvious reasons. And um, I love how you guys have, you know, the rogue line, <laughs> you know, the raw and the rogue, which is so clever being a marketer. I definitely love that. But tell us, I mean, it goes back, like as far as your relationship with the plant um, goes back before the days of Fiddler's Green. And so maybe if you can tell a little bit of that story, because again, that always puts a smile on my face when I think about uh, where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah, well, I was raised in a, a very conservative household and a rodeo family and country family. And, you know, and nobody touched weed or marijuana was for losers. We didn't do that. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a traditional Marine Corps family. In fact, I'm a Marine myself. And so, you know, I never touched any of that. And we, but we drank plenty, that's for sure. And um, my entire goal was to be a career Marine and then go into law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And uh, after I'd gotten my first day out of the Marine Corps, somebody got me high for the first time. And I realized how much I'd been lied to about the plant my whole life. And it was you know, the first time that I'd actually been able to slow down and take a deep breath and, and uh, you know, just slow down and not have to be so on point and, you know, activated all the time. I was able to take a deep breath and relax. Yeah. And so yep. I changed my entire career path and wound up, um, you know, selling everything I own but a bag of clothes and a guitar. And I picked an island out of a book, hitchhiked to the airport and spent the next decade in the Virgin Islands Jeez. and uh, got really That's into, uh, you know, taking care of myself and getting decompressed from being in the military and uh, really got into cannabis. And one day uh, I was uh, teaching scuba and I found a kilo of brickweed that had washed up on the beach. And uh, it had been so broken crazy. open and so we couldn't really smoke it and we couldn't sell it and we didn't know what to do with it. And this is in 1996 or 97 pre-internet. Oh, wow. And yeah. I happened to find this old hippie cookbook that talks about how to cook with the plant. And so uh, I learned how to make pot ice cream and pot brownie sandwiches. So I made uh, <laughs> pot ice cream brownie sandwiches and sold them in the Virgin Islands back in the 90s. Oh my gosh. And that was, I mean, you're out there on the, in this, it was crazy how much we have in, in common, you know, the whole being into scuba diving and sailing. And I think that's why, you know, kind of hearing your story and although my stress was coming from, you know, more of the corporate world and climbing the proverbial ladder, I know it's not too dissimilar to the military and, and how you're trying to, you know, kind of move up in rank as, you know, obviously not as a reserve, but as a full-time, you know, uh, full-time individual in that space. So I totally can relate where you're, where you're coming from on just going, okay, it's, it's time to shift gears, you know, because you keep on that pace. That's the thing is when you, we keep on that just aggressive, 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 day in, day out, grind, grind, grind. I mean, it. I think about how many years that it takes off one's life, you know, it's just insane, right? And it's what you were dealing with for several years. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. And the funny thing is we joke about it being in the regulated cannabis industry. It's, it's worse than anything I experienced in the military or being a boat captain or, you know, any of the things I've done, owning restaurants, being in the regulated cannabis market in California is one of the most difficult, stressful things I've ever done. And that's with yeah. my other things on my resume, you know, speaking for that. Yeah. And, and you, and that's the thing, you know, you and I both, I think I have mutual friends that went through the process of, of being above board, as they say, versus staying in the shadows. And, you know, I, man, I had a few buddies that just put out absolute fire and they had such a huge um, respect and education around the plant. 
but they hesitate on coming over because to your point, the, the cost alone, never mind being taxed every day in every way from Sunday. I mean, I think five times from seed to sale. I mean, it is one of the toughest. But then the irony, right? Because this is the largest, the largest market in the world for both legal and illicit cannabis. So to have such such strict regulations and rules, which they're still working out, <laughs> for those that don't know, it's still a work in progress here. Um, but man, again, props to you. And if it's okay, I kind of want to get into a little bit of what you're doing on, on the distribution side, because I really love, again, and this is just speaking objectively, you know, when finding out that, that you all got into the, the distribution space, um, again, for those that don't know, um, there, there's grow operations from the San Diego border all the way up to Crescent City in, in Northern California, which is a, a large stretch. This is a long, long state. Um, and there are grow operations everywhere. But of course, the Emerald Triangle, Northern California, where you have more boutique or what we call cottage style growers than anywhere else in, in the state. Um, it's tough. It's tough for them to get their product down to the largest consumption side of the state that is Southern California. And that's where where you stepped in in that space as well, right? Not just for yourself, but for fellow growers that care and are passionate about the quality of this plant, right? Yeah, and well, it started out just like our tinctures, where we started making our tinctures to help heal ourselves. We started our distribution company to help maintain our Fiddler's Grains company, because when we were out there, we were small craft growers. We, you know, were self-funded. We didn't go into the big corporate money and are yeah. throwing around, you know, millions of marketing dollars and have burn rates. You know, every bottle of tincture we sold paid a trimmer or yeah. you know, got us the, the next piece of trellis we needed or whatever we had to build for the farm. And we built it one step at a time the entire way. And when Prop 64 came in and the regulated market took over and we had to rely on this distribution model, we tried working with several different companies and to see who could represent us. And we are very education forward. We like to be hands-on and, you know, talk to the clients and talk to the bud tenders and teach them about sun-grown whole flower cannabis and the benefits of the entourage effect and how whole plant medicine, uh, the difference in effects of that between an isolate stuck in MCT oil. Yeah. And uh, we found that we just couldn't get that personalized attention from the bigger distro companies, let alone even have them know the products they're talking about. A lot of them just work from a catalog that's point and click. And so we tried several different distro companies that just didn't do it for us. And so, you know, we did our own distribution. And then when COVID happened and we everybody got put on the lockdown, um, I had experience uh, with from the Marine Corps with decontamination. And so we wrote a protocol and we didn't come off the road one single day. We kept out there doing distro and writing our own sanitation protocols and making sure that, you know, we helped set the standard on how distro could be run even during a pandemic and keep everybody safe that's involved. And we just kept one foot in front of the other, creating our own path with that. And then we started finding out these other small family craft and heritage and legacy brands that were having the same problem. They didn't have marketing dollars to do their own packaging and branding. They were getting taken advantage of by larger companies who had just gulped them up to white label them. Yeah. And so we're trying to use our permits in our space to make sure that even the small family craft farms, that they can get their, their terroir and their appellation and their farm yeah. and their, you know, the, their cultivars that they've spent, you know, all of their, their time on, that we can help retain that community and what they've been doing all the way to the end consumer. And so we've really expanded high tide distribution and helping other small family brands get out there without being gobbled up or just overshadowed by the big money brands. 
Yeah. And that's, I mean, one of them, just as an example, because this is one that you guys shared, you know, Soul Spirit. And I love Soul Spirit's story, you know, as far as just being this really passionate family that that puts out phenomenal outdoor product. And, and I can't wait until Cannabis 2.0, as I call it, comes around because everybody's all on this hype and nothing against Jungle Boys and, and these other guys are all about indoor. But man, I, I feel once the education comes in, like you were talking about, uh, you know, understanding of the Appalachias and all these different microclimates that exist in these three magical counties of Northern California alone. And, and the fact that it's not just about the Geno, because I know everyone's all about the latest genetics, the trendy triangle strains, as I call them. Mm-hmm. But it's not just about the Geno, it's about the phenotype, which is why I've always been a, a fan of outdoor and and it's an uncontrolled environment, so in my opinion, it's much harder than than growing in a full control environment. But these profiles, I mean, and that's one of those farms that you guys support and you guys distribute for. And you can, t- I mean, there, I, mean, I think I have four or five different flavors, so to speak. But Runts was the one most recent um, that I was trying out from them, and it's just like, my gosh, it's literally Northern California in a bottle. It's so crazy compared to some of this boofy stuff that we find in SoCal. And I love the fact that, that you guys are doing it because like you said, you know, some are getting gobbled up and we won't name any names, but there's another distributor in Northern California that, you know, they supposedly are supporting the small growers, the small farmers, our friends, but they put them all in the same bottle and they put a very uniform label on there and it, it really loses the identity of that, not, not just that grow operation or that farm, but of that farmer and of that family. And so I'm a little less, you know, an advocate, I guess you'd say, of that kind of model versus your model that puts those those businesses front and center. And you guys, oh my God, like I said, it's always you and and you know your approach towards, you know, educating that that I call them a cannabis consultants. I try <laughs> bud tenders, I call them cannabis consultants. But you guys are constantly educating them and helping them understand and telling them that backstory that that connects the dots. You know, that really makes it more of a, a micro versus macro um, offering, which I think is just awesome. I think it's just so cool that you guys are doing that. You know, well, we started doing that out of a necessity because you know we were one of the first farms to start growing CBD dominant strains back in the day when we got you know, our original genetics from Lawrence Ringo and. And Kevin Dodry, and they were trying to yep. get those strains yeah. out and, and uh, have people grow them. And so we've been working with CBD dominant cannabis for over eight years, and we had to be educators. When you walk into a dispensary with a unit and you say, "Hey, I grew this amazing flower, but it's not going to get you high." Yeah. And yeah. so we had to really start talking about what CBD was back in the day. And so we started going to the lectures and the seminars with the doctors and the clinicians and the researchers and all the conferences to learn directly from the sources because there's so much misinformation. And the drug war has done such a, a, an amazing job at indoctrinating our entire culture into being anti-cannabis and to believe that there is no cannabis research, that we wanted to get out there and get the straight answers from the people doing the research. And then when we go into these dispensaries or community groups, we give a class on how to find the right strain for you, how to find the right you know uh, type of application, whether it's smoking, vaping, topical, edible, um, balm, suppository. And then we want to give yeah. people good, solid information so that they can make choices, what a positive choice for themselves. And we see so many people that walk in and say, hey, buy this product and take a lot of it because it's the best thing out there. And (laughs) you're not going to get a good response and we're not going to do the cannabis industry any good by, you know, hyping up cannabis as a panacea. We want to make sure that we get out there and give good, solid information. 
And at the bud tender level, those folks are the people who are going to make and break it. They're going to determine whether corporate weed wins or whether you're going to have small mom and pop shops that are going to be, you know, treated as the organic producers that they should be. Yep. That's the thing I don't think people understand. So in, I, I'm not fond of comparing this industry to alcohol, but in certain instances, can you do both being, you know, post-prohibition uh, scenarios. But that's the one thing I think is very different from a, a you know, a bartender at a bar. It's just like, oh, take Tito's because Tito's scored 97 points and Goose is 95 points. Like, okay, whatever. You're, you're in my opinion, and that's just mine, you're, you know, pushing poison versus pushing a medicine. Here, to your point, it really matters. And helping them understand and these bud tenders, these cannabis consultants, you're spot on. They're the the front line. And early on in this industry, and I, I think we kind of, we got in California, but I'd say when Colorado came online, when the big adult use movement came uh, circa January 2014 in Washington, Oregon, they all kind of dropped like dominoes from there. Um, it was, to your point, it, it was this weird I heard bud tenders just, they were pushing whatever was the quote unquote loudest on the shelf. And it was all about this race to the top in THC. And I'm like, my gosh, dude, look at who you're talking to. This isn't a Gen Y or or a Z Gen, you know, this is a Gen X or a boomer that hasn't consumed since cannabis on average had single digit THC in it. You know, I mean, the stuff that, that you probably grew up the same thing as me, you know, the brick weed from down South or even the occasional phenomenal Northern lights that would, that I'd be able to afford. Even then, those were so conservative versus today where the median THC is 21%. And again, it's just selling it from the wrong angle. I, I'd love to hear, I don't know about you, but I'd love to hear people talk about their terpene profile. What is your terpene profile as an individual? What really works? Is it myrcene? Is it lemonine? Is it pinene? You know, yep. what is it? And, and what's we've that been putting our terpene noise? profiles on our pre-rolls for four years. Yeah, you guys and, always have. <laughs> you know, Ethan, Dr. Ethan Russo's paper, The Taming of Terpenes, And then if you get on some of these websites like Whole Plant Access for Autism and you listen to these parents who are doing the -the on-the-ground, day-to-day, real research with their children trying to find what works, the terpenes mean so much more than the THC content. Because if you have an adult child with autism who has uh, violent behaviors and you give them limonene and pinene, they're going to be smashing holes in the walls. But if you give them the linalool and beta-caryophylline and and, some osamine, they're going to be having a good day. And so... You know, if the way it looks like the, the cannabis purchasers right now is they're they're trying to go into a bar and order shots of Everclear, and the strongest yeah. is yep. the best. Yep. When we go in and talk to purchasing managers, the first thing they say is, if it's not over 20% THC, then we don't even want to talk to you about it. Yeah. And you know the difference between a 15% THC strain and a 30% THC strain is one puff. You know, exactly. it's the, the entourage effect of everything else around it. One of my favorite strains is Forbidden Fruit. Oh, my it's gosh. An amazing strain. And <laughs> it's it never absolutely amazing. Above 15%. And I'll yep. put it up against any other strain. No, in the hidden cup, the secret, a lot of these cups that happen in northern, northern California, I mean, up by the border and up in Oregon. I mean, there was just a, a one up there a handful of months back. Everything that won in first place, flavor, et cetera, et cetera, everything was on 15% average, to your point, THC. Mm-hmm. It was all about the terpene profile. And it's like, that is the two. In the way I've always explained, I'm like, you know, if if the cannabinoids are the engine, then the terpene's the steering wheel. Like, figure out how to drive, you know, really figure, to your point, figure out what works for you, whether it be from a medicinal 
or just from an adult use, from a recreational standpoint. Like, know what profile works for you. And my gosh, props to you on Forbidden Fruit. I absolutely love, I have a buddy I grew up with. He now his uh, grows up in uh, South Oregon. He's Sugar Tree Farms. His Forbidden Fruit, I walk into his operation. That's the only thing I smell. No matter what else, he might have runts or Skittles or you know, Mac one, whatever. I always can pick up the smell on that forbidden fruit because his is amazing and finally won an award last year and he deserves it because that one is so diverse to your point. I think you're spot on, Cam. You know, you find those more diverse profiles um, that really just give that whole experiential. But the fact that those are the ones that are winning in the right cups, in the right competitions, I should <laughs> I should add, mm-hmm. not the ones that you pay to well, play. You know, our crew of Jody and Matt and everybody, we are not lightweights. We oh, are yeah. all day, everyday smokers and dabbers, and that's part of our life and what, how we, we live it. Yeah. And our favorite strain is a 15% THC. And it's, it, you know, that should say something about, you know, these people that are, you know, just really chasing the numbers. I think that it, we're going to get more education in the, the space. It's coming slowly. I mean, yeah. in the six yeah. years I've been teaching cannabis education classes to dispensaries, I'm now less and less having to explain what decarboxylation is. Oh, my gosh. And that's, that's just a joy to see the wow. level of knowledge at that level yeah. as, as really coming along. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause in, in, with that having to explain obviously THC, THCA and, and, and all the rest to your point. Right. I mean, it's one thing and it's unfortunate too. I mean, that's another, we talk about the bun tender. It's tough because what the compensation is and the fact that they cycle in and out. And I think the average is, is eight, eight months in the role. And I'd love to say all those people were promoting within, but that's actually a minute, a minute percentage of my friends I know have moved into other positions within the company. Um, but that frontline matters. And again, what you guys are doing is, is so big and it's just, it's, it's something that deserves that recognition and you get it. Like you said, you, and, and same thing with Jodri. I mean, you guys, I love his story on, on to your point, the whole CBD movement, um, that he is very much a, a part of and, and in the center of several years back, these are the stories that people need to, to learn because it, it's going mainstream so fast. I mean, I'm still, I don't know about you, I'm still floored that five states now, a few of them, uh, you know, announcing adult use that were already uh, medical, but five states in five months to legalize, you know, and and that says a lot about where we're going, but we need to recognize where we're coming from and in the knowledge and insight we already have, to your point, in, in kind of that walk before we run. Because I agree with you, everyone's trying to sell bathtub gin and, and, you know, white lightning in a bottle that's now, you know, ever clear. And it's like, slow down. There's People that want to drink wine, that want to drink beer. There's people that want to enjoy the experience of it and not just, you know, balls to the wall, excuse the expression, you know, and that's the mentality yeah. that's been going on and it, it, it needs to change. That's where I think, again, I know the Canadians consider cannabis 2.0 as, as, you know, the legalization of concentrates. But when I speak of cannabis 2.0, exactly what you're talking about is what I mean. Like that needs, that education is key in people really understanding the plant and how to interact with it, not just going to to your point, to what they could have done with two puffs. <laughs> I think you put that so yeah. well. <laughs> well, and I think this is all going to change as well because, you know, I've grown indoor cultivation. I love indoor cultivation. There's some great things put out there. Uh, but I also am a big fan, and you know, my farm is full sun outdoor hugel culture. Ugh, yeah. um, we're working to get as closed loop as possible. And I think that once we see interstate commerce with, with cannabis, um, 
indoor is going to be indoor no matter where it is. You can grow the same indoor in Oklahoma, oh, in yeah. Palm Springs, in New York that you can anywhere else. Yep. But you're not going to be able to grow Emerald Triangle flower anywhere <laughs> else other than the Emerald Triangle. Exactly. And so I think all of this mid and uh, lower price flower is going to be to anybody who can mass commercially produce it. But the people who can really do that small craft run and they get that terroir and we're going to start to get back to where we have you know when are we going to get land race strains again in oh my areas God. when we get a strain <laughs> that's been growing there and you know, i keep using the term strain but i just i know nobody knows i know so you and i use cultivar we're getting to where these small little <laughs> microclimates are going to be you know the the sought after like the high-priced wines yeah, 100%. And I was just on a call, I won't say with which organization, but I'm thankful they have me as an, as an honorary member. And you know that a few individuals from the alcohol industry, they're trying to push their pro, their, their priorities on, um, they want to essentially institute a, a federal licensing program for distribution of cannabis in the country. And it's interesting hearing these guys because one of them was talking about, oh, you know, when, when cannabis uh, turns to being an import and when it's important, I'm like, wow, these guys have no clue. Like I said in the comments, because I didn't want to pitch up and, you know, interrupt their spiel because it was kind of a spiel. But the one, the first thing I said was, you don't understand. I've been, and I'm very fortunate. I'm, I'm modest, but I'm so thankful to this industry. But because of being in this industry and working for companies with international footprints, I've gotten to go see and experience cannabis in South America, in, in all across Europe, uh, Southern APAC, you know, Australia, New Zealand, um, and all over North America. And you know what? All of them always reference, they all know about Humboldt. Most of them know about Mendocino, but they all know about the Emerald Triangle. They all know about the epicenter for culture and craft. And so that was my case was, I would say, if anything, it's gonna be more of an export play or an interstate play. Um, or both combined versus an import. I just don't see us having a high demand for Canadian or or, or Portuguese or you know even South African cannabis. Um, you know, I, I think to your point, there are certain land race because I'm a huge fan of that. I was just telling an Uber driver because um, I don't think I'll get into touching the plant side. But if I ever had a dispensary, this is just me, and especially if I was in a diverse market, um, I would look to land race and I would look to the most popular cultivars from each era. Right? I mean. So for me, it was Northern Nights, but I know Acapulco Gold, I was on the tail end of that when I got into cannabis. Um, but I know mm -hmm. for other people, it's Thai Stick or it's Durban Poison. I mean, there's there's yep. all these true- My family's, been, I've right. been growing Durban for 11 years now and it's been grown in my family for over 20. Oh my God. And I still, I, uh, I'm i trying to get, uh, the one guy, I think I told you this told tangent, um, but I had a friend that uh, happened to have a few seeds that fell in his bag that came out from South Africa. He said, is there anything you need from here? And <laughs> that was the one thing, being a, a bit of a, a genetics collector. And uh, yep. I gave most of them to uh, two growers. One of them, he popped all of them. And I was like, hey, do you have any more? I'm like, I have a friend who you know has a bank and he's trying to, to keep all these safe, um, but I want to give him a few of these exotics. And he just sends me a picture of these trees that were literally, he had a 12 foot ladder and I think they were 14 feet tall. And he's like, that's them. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right, I guess you pop those beans. So I do need to reach out to my other buddy. Uh, I'm sure he probably held a few that I have to get to you. But but that's a, guys like you and I, again, all this crossbreeding and backbreeding and, and culture and, and I'm with you. I respect it. Same like indoor, light depth, like I respect all that. But Again, there is going to come a time, in my opinion, where guys like you and I are like, I would like a, a purebred cultivar, you know, out of Thailand or out of South Africa or, or out of Asia, uh, Northern Asia. You know, 
that would be the day where those would be the most coveted. And it gets back to the Appalachians, right? It gets back to where, you know, there's a reason why there's a champagne region, <laughs> you know, across the pond. And that's the only place that champagne can come from. Everywhere else is sparkling wine. It's really going to be the same in this. And um, I also agree with you. There's going to be the Walmarts of weed, no doubt. There's going to be the Blazers that just want to do an ounce every other day, and, and they're all about that. But there's going to be plenty of people that really do treat it like that fine-aged wine, like you're talking about, which is awesome, too. I think it's sweet. And I think we so. really have to advocate that everybody be allowed to cultivate it. We can't make the yeah. the the getting a permit so onerous that your average person can't have their own garden yeah. because that's where we're going to find those really unique people who just truly love the plant and are going to come up with the next amazing thing. And it's not going to be some big corporation funding a grow lab. Yeah. It's going to be somebody in their backyard with a unique valley and, you know, just the right sun situation and the, the right pH of the soil. And, oh, you know, man. all the little things are going to make that next plant. Yep. You know, we want to encourage everybody to get out there and try to grow themselves and then the best of that will always rise up. Yeah, 100%. You, uh, I couldn't put it better. That's spot on. And it is unfortunate because there are a few states in specific, you know, Washington, which kind of surprised me. They're, they, they've got a movement going on up there, but right now, completely illegal for home grow. In Illinois, I was kind of surprised, you know, Illinois is such a large market, and yet, gosh, I think out of over 10 million populace, they only have 21 licenses. So that's a whole other. It's weird. We have these extremes, right? We had that limitless license scenario in Oregon, which that that market just now started normalizing the last year. And then we have it in Oklahoma. But then you have this opposite mentality in places like Florida and Illinois, where not only do they want to constrict that freedom, but they want to keep it isolated to, to essentially, to your point, to corporate, to the people that can pay to play, which I don't know where, you know, equality or equity, social equity plays into that. But I, I see it as um, a hindrance towards the true freedom of the plant, you know, and I don't think it's cliche to say that it, we really need to free the plant. It's been suppressed for a freaking century now, you know. It's just times need to change. And, and thankfully, again, for guys like you and, and like Kevin and, you know, so many friends that do make such an impact in your own way on that movement, right? Oh, absolutely. And then how many, it just allowing anybody to cult cultivate the plant, uh, how much of that is going to just help the equity problem where no state, I haven't seen a state that's rolled out a quality equity solution or any kind of uh, uh, options. And I think yeah. we've been really lacking in all of the equity portions of the of legalization in 64 and how it's going nationally. And I yeah. think allowing everybody to cultivate it, everybody to produce it and everybody to sell it um, with a minimal barrier to entry. I think that's going to be one of the best parts of equity is open it up for everybody to give it a go. Yeah. Exactly true, right? And I mean, what, and I know the similarities again, you know, with alcohol, but no harm, no foul. I mean, there there are home brewers right now, but they're they're not putting AB out of business. I'm sorry, freaking Anheuser-Busch has 23 out of 27 SKUs in your local grocery store's beer aisle. I, I doubt they're feeling any serious impact from the home, you know, the, the home brewer. Now, Thankfully, they are, and I will be biased, they are feeling a bit of a dent from the microbrews, which I think, again, is fucking awesome because <laughs> that's what you and I Absolutely. are talking about, right? Giving the power to the people who really are passionate and not just pumping out another number on a can. They really are, you know, these people are putting out quality flour in, I mean, I think of to your Beyond Soul, like another favorite of mine is Hidden Prairie Farms up there. O always loved everything they put out, love full organic and to your point, hard to get closed loop, but, but possible, 
you know, and just put out that superior product that has the geno and the pheno balance that gives me the chemo, you know, gives, gives the outbound yeah. that I'm looking for from it. And, and there's a lot to be said, and it's worth every dollar top dollar at that well, point. Now right? it has to go beyond even your ability to cultivate and, and be a land manager, you know, to, to use Walter and Judy uh, from Soul Spirit as an yeah. example. Yep. They are completely off grid. They live in a, a hay bale house that they built when they moved there in the, the van that they were, or the bus they were living in. Uh, everything is solar and wind powered. They're working on 15 year no-till soil. Wow. And they grow amazing, sustainable cannabis that's beyond belief. Yeah. But that's not enough for the marketplace. They also, we need to find the most sustainable packaging. Yep. So they've sourced out the, the best hemp plastic tubes with biodegradable labels. And they're oh, wow. using plant cellulose. Uh, it's, a, it's a plant cellulose instead of a plastic shrink wrap. <laughs> they're using reclaimed ocean plastic for their uh, oh, other five-pack cases. But uh, you can't just be a good farmer anymore. You've got to be able to do your marketing and find good packaging. You got to go out and do demos. You got to make sure all the bud tenders have the samples. You know, it's not just growing flour and uh, putting it in a, you know, forming a trim circle anymore. Yeah. Yeah, very true. I think it's very well put. And that's where I think a lot of people were caught off guard, to your point, that, that again, came out of the shadows. They couldn't just show, throw it in a pack and give you a zip if you needed it. You know, now it's really, okay, you, you have to build a brand for yourself. And we've seen all different kinds come out of the triangle. That's what I've seen some very high end, high quality. And I've seen others that, you know, and I can't talk. I mean, I've not that I put labels on the stuff I grow, but I definitely, for my little seasoning business, I started out with a cheesy label and got better, it got better, it got better. And I still save the bottles as it evolved because that's how much it meant to me because that was oh, yeah. me as an individual, you know, me as a marketer and me as a business owner evolving. Um, but again, you, you guys, I love how um, you give that opportunity. And like you said, you know, you all have shared, um, you and Jody, Jody's a rock star as well. For those who don't know in the industry, Jody Star is just I mean, again, a great educator, totally passionate about the plant and the people and takes the time to, I mean, he and I, again, on, on the side, you know, is passing through town and we must have spent like 45 minutes catching up just so he could go over all the products that you guys carry. And, and to your point, I mean, from suppository to tincture to topical um, to edible to smokable, I mean, you guys, uh, I mean, that drink that you guys had. Um, gosh, I'm sorry. The name escapes me, but Shoki. Oh yeah. my gosh. And, uh, <laughs> Tiffany Yard, the, the uh, woman who has created Shoki, just won the uh, pitch contest. Oh, uh, no way. A, a, a pitch contest. And it was, uh, she did a great job on there looking for uh, funding. Yeah, that is, I mean, it, that's the stuff. This, this is why I'm, this is what gets me excited about being in the industry. It's like, yes, it's the fastest growing space and oh, the potentials of billions and all the rest, but maybe it's just the NorCal kid in me. But like, this is the stuff that gets me excited is hearing something like that, especially happening to someone that deserves it. Looking again, um, you know, the, the quality and the time and effort and the thought that goes into the product that she's creating um, and, and you guys are helping get out there. I mean, that's something that it's just, it's just head and shoulders above anything else out there, at least what I'm seeing in, in Southern California specifically. So props to her, man. That's, we'll have to have her on the show. I mean, I'd love to, I any of these fantastic. guys. Yeah. And then we're also, we're seeing this year as the year of consolidation. We've yeah. all spent the, you know, once the starting gun happened in 64, we all ran to try to claim our space and to, you know, take, you know, where we thought we should be and, 
we've seen so many things, implosions and crashes and, you know, buyouts and blowouts. And, and we're seeing the people who have been in this for the passion, been in this for the compassion, yeah. been, it, been in it for the plant and the community. We're seeing all of these survivors kind of rallying and staggering together. And we're starting to link arms and being a little more focused in how we lobby, uh, how we're approaching our board of supervisors and our city yeah. councils, and yeah. you know, how we're taking collective action to try to correct a bunch of the things with the BCC, or, you know, maybe we need to bring a, a class action lawsuit against metric like Oklahoma is to oh my that gosh. undue burden off of us. But we're getting more honest conversations <laughs> with us in the community. Uh, down to like we just founded the first cannabis grange hall in the United States up here in Sonoma County. Oh, we're man, trying cool. to combine traditional agriculture with cannabis agriculture, but we're just seeing that that we need more voices out there. We need the people that are shopping yeah. to actually come and and support your local cannabis farm at your board of supervisors meeting. Every time you see one of those NIMBY signs out there that says "No commercial pot in my neighborhood," <laughs> yep. you need to make sure you write a letter to the editor and saying, "Hey, I support commercial cannabis farmers in my neighborhood." But um, we're we're having to fight on so many fronts right now that you know the only way we see survival against a big corporate onslaught is for all of us to rally together and and look out for each other's backs. Yeah, because that's what got us here in the first place, right? That's what I was just talking to someone the other day about Dennis Perone and the history, you know, going back to, because you referenced Prop 64, those don't know, that is our adult use prop um, that was passed in 2016. And so going back be, behind that, you know, Prop 215, which I was actually old enough to, to vote on, uh, occurred back in 1996, even before that was Prop P in San Francisco in 1990 to support those with HIV and AIDS. So the movement in Northern California specifically, of course, this is after the Waldos in the, in the 70s, in the 60s, but the legitimate legal take this take this plant serious uh, was really centric to again like you said not just the passion but the compassion of the plant and what it can do and unlock and times have changed so much over that but a lot of people don't understand i think cam you put it into perspective you know you're talking about places where they have the nimby mentality or the not in my backyard and 73% of the counties in the state of california put a moratorium on a prop 64 when it came, i mean it's so crazy people are like oh of course california is going to go adult use they've already had medical for 20 years or for those that knew would say that and it's like it's not that easy we still have i mean everyone thinks it's a hardcore lib state and yada yada there there's blue counties there's red san diego's a red county orange county's a red county People don't know from a medical perspective, San Diego City was the only approved for medical city in the whole county. What, 18 cities, I think, in San Diego County? So we're still fighting those battles, to your point. And even my county, I'm in Ventura County, which is kind of a, a stepchild to the L.A. market. You know, we're up the coast, up above Malibu um, and just south of Santa Barbara County. But a lot of the growers here, they they cut off um, even fruit, even stop strawberries and blackberries to switch over to hemp. And after that first year, they had to pull back because to your point, everyone was complaining. They're like, oh, they're growing the weed. And it's like, they don't even know. Like, th this is hemp. <laughs> this this yeah. is not a THC Well, then there was flower. a lot of people who started growing hemp who had no idea what was involved in hemp. Oh, yes. You know, in the old <laughs> traditional market, you know, you never plant a plant till you know you're out. You know, where's it going before you start yep. building? Yep, and then exactly. we saw so many people, there was tractor trailers filled with hemp rotting in the Central Valley last year. Yeah. And we had it down here everybody too. Everybody planted it and they had no idea you had to cure it. A lot of people were bailing it up. Yeah. Uh, they didn't know where it was going or who was going to buy it. And so there was this huge, and still out there, this massive glut of industrial hemp. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but and that, that's going to start to sort itself out. Yep, yeah, it is. And that's exactly what it is at that point. To your point, it's industrial hemp. You might as well, you're 
pulp it, textile it, whatever you got to do with it. But the way that they treated it and even, you know, now being at Green Bros, I know Colin, you know, and he's a former grower as well. He comes from the industry. He's like, Lance, you won't believe I, I was having guys call up and this is post farm bill uh, 2018. And so obviously hemp started being grown everywhere. Like it was like it was 1919. And so they he had these uh, hemp growers, especially in the Midwest and Southeast, or contact him. They're like, yeah, I need help processing. I've got seventy acres of hemp, and he's like, it would take me years just to create enough machines for you to process seventy acres of hemp. If you're talking about processing it, you know, for for consumption, it's it's a whole other space. And in what what do you think as far as because again, you were a part of the early the real true pure movement of CBD, and now it's gotten a little crazy. Uh, in that space. What's your take on the latest scene as it pertains to CBD and mainstream? Uh, we're still learning a lot of the knowledge about and the science behind it. And people have just thrown it out there as a panacea and a cure-all without understanding yeah. it. And you can get CBD pet things at the gas station. You can get CBD at the, the, the feed store. You can get it at, at yep. any place. And people don't really know what they're talking about. And a lot of it's industrial hemp that's been stripped down. Yep. And yep. You know, us, with the, we have the first permitted outdoor farm in Sonoma County, but we are predominantly growing CBD-dominant strains. Yeah. And we've had so many difficult regulations and hassles with permitting here in Sonoma County. Um, they've actually opened it up for hemp. And so we are not going to grow cannabis on our farm this year. We are growing hemp, but we're going to wow. grow the exact same damn strain of ACDC that we've been growing the entire time. <laughs> but now under the, the 2018 Farm Act and the hemp bill, we're not going to have to pay all the taxes. We're not going to have to go through all the hoops. We're not going to have to jump with anything. And I can plant my, my farm fence line to fence line. Yep. And I'm going to grow the exact same damn plants, but we're going to call it hemp. Yeah. And it's and so in your ACDC. We're going to find the loopholes and, you know, we're yeah. going to keep showing up and lobbying and arguing that you've really just decriminalized one molecule out of this plant. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> That's a whole, right. Really hope, one, once we get this... Uh, interstate commerce, the, the entire game is going to change. I agree. And and that's Blumenauer, who I got to spend some time with Earl Blumenauer. I love this guy. He's been pro-cannabis since I was born and got to spend time with him while lobbying on the Hill a few years back in D.C. Um, and for those that don't know, he's representative from Oregon. And uh, man, I love him. And he was the first one to get interstate. And the mayor signed it, or mayor, excuse me, governor signed it, you know, for interstate commerce. The only problem is finding someone on the other side, on the reciprocal side. But that interstate's a game changer. And the first thing I thought of when you were talking about was your ACDC because it is just absolutely fire. I mean, it is just talk about key genetics, you know, it's, it's great to hear that that's what you're focused on. And you can take that. I mean, technically since it is hemp and what you're falling under, that can be shipped across the country, right? Absolutely. And we grow it with all the love and attention that we do of any of other plants. It's not industrial yeah. by any sense. You know, we're, you know, no-till, companion planting, uh, nothing but compost teas, and we really cultivate the buds and work on them. And even for our tinctures, um, we believe in a long, slow cure um, before we infuse the whole flower into the olive oil. Um, we just want to make sure that we're getting the broadest, most robust terpene and cannabinoid profile uh, set in place before we put it in the olive oil. And so I think this is going to allow a lot more little craft, small brands to get out there nationally. Yeah. Uh, we were stuck in the California market, and we have so many people we work with. And we work with Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, and yeah, we work yeah, with Dr. the Whole Bonnie. Plant Access for Autism and, and uh, Project CBD and all these groups. And we have people from around the country that are trying to find quality whole plant uh, products. 
but the only thing that they can get shipped to their door across state lines is, a lot of times is cheap distillate yep. and MCT oil or you know, sugar water. Yeah, exactly. And it's just bunk. It's boof. That's the thing that it's – that's where I'm – so sad that there isn't more coverage of, I mean, we're, we're starting to see it in our industry, but that's still niche compared to mainstream on a true understanding of the difference. Not all CBD is equal. And, and I love how you talk, you know, this is one molecule people. I mean, that's what um, Idaho is as nice a state as it is and very conservative for being West of the Mississippi. Um, I thought it was so crazy that they actually were the first state to amend their constitution to make cannabis illegal because they're so worried about everything, quote unquote, going to pot. So they literally mm-hmm. just, just two and a half months ago, they just made it, they just amended the constitution to make it. And then just a few weeks ago, they passed a hemp bill. And it's like, I'm, I'm explaining to my friends, that's like saying, okay, you, you can't grow watermelon, but you can grow seedless watermelon. We just, we just totally outlawed and made, made watermelon a hundred percent illegal, but you can grow seedless watermelon. It's not the same thing. It's like, wow. I mean, even the people that are writing the laws, literally have no clue. They, they have no idea, do they? <laughs> What's going oh, no. on, right? I went to the University of Idaho. So I got, oh my yeah. gosh, man. <laughs> How crazy that was. Oh. Yeah, What's funny though, is the two tops of uh, the top selling uh, dispensaries in Washington and Oregon are yep. on the Idaho border. Yep. I've been to one of them. <laughs> the instant tum- tumbleweed. Oh my God. They're such great people. I actually mean, this is one, this is crazy. I think I've shared this story before, but Cam, you'll appreciate it. So have friends as well in Idaho. And, and again, I love it. Boise Valley is great. And, and everyone up there, of course, they're, you know, frustrated with all the people moving there. But um, I was hanging out with a friend and he's an Idahoan, born and raised. And uh, he has his forever home there. So we'll go up and meet back at his forever home. Because right now he's based all over the place. But um, one of his friends from growing up is a DA at in one of those uh, counties that butts up against the border. And um, we're hanging out and he was like, yeah, he's like, you know, cops come in and they know people are coming back over the border, you know, and there's not like there's a, a big city on the other side or some sort of infrastructure that are going over to, at least in, in where his coverage is. And he's like, yeah, I throw most of them out. He's like, it's, it's a, come on, you know, it's minor possession. This doesn't need to ruin someone's life just because they went and picked up a, you know, a couple of joints and brought it back over the border. Um, but my gosh, the politics, you know, and then he proceeds to, to smoke with us, <laughs> which I thought was, I'm like, that's so typical <laughs> as far as politics. Don't do as I say, say as I do kind of mentalities. And, and to your point, the NIMBY, the not in my backyard. Yeah. It's okay if you do it, just not here, you know? So. Yeah, as I have a brother-in-law that lives in Boise, and he's a, say he sells real estate, and he's complaining about all the people moving into the state and bringing all their problems and all these dope smokers moving in while he's smoking a joint, making money off of selling real estate. <laughs> to those people he's getting all the money from. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, my gosh, craziness, man. Well, what else is – I mean, the, I think the last thing kind of to get into – because you are, I mean, I love it, man. You're at the gateway. Technically, it is part of the triangle, but you know, Mendocino County, um, specifically, you're in Sebastopol, so um, you're in a really special place too. It's a great little stop on the way out to the coast. For those that don't know, um, what's been going on? How have things been um, as far as the scene? Uh, up there on the hill for cannabis right now? I mean, has, has the pandemic and it being deemed essential really lit a fire? Um, again, metaphorically, not literally. I don't want to make joke because there's way too many fires that happen in Northern California and all of California. But I mean, has have you really seen that spark of, of you know, people being able to get stuff pushed out the door and being busy and being able to pay the bills? Or has it still been a little tough based on the current state of the world? It's still been really tough. I mean, the one thing that's really 
shown through on this is the community. Because yeah. so many of us, uh, Sonoma County has been just so awful to everybody in the cultivation. I mean, we had an estimated 5,000 cultivators, and uh, in the first two years, they were only able to get 18 permits out. I've been zoned out of three farms and fighting for this third one, but it's really gotten all of us to rally together. And so Santa Rosa, the town, has great regulations. It's a great spot for business. And we see Santa Rosa as the tip of the Emerald Triangle. If everything funnels down, it all passes through Santa Rosa on yeah. its way out to everywhere else. Right. And so it's a it's a great business community there. Uh, but uh, cultivation and everything in Sonoma County is just awful, but it's really gotten us all to rally together. I was telling you, we uh, founded the first cannabis grange hall, the Hessel Grange, yeah, and yeah. we're trying to get the word out for people in the community to go and join their local grange. It's like a community hall for agriculture, uh, but we just need to share the word with them that cannabis is agriculture. Yeah. And um, it's really focusing us on getting out there and getting a unified message towards the Board of Supervisors, giving them specific guidance. I mean, we've been doing this for years, giving them specific guidance, and they haven't taken one bit of it. It's but I think they're wearing down and burning out and seeing to where they've really, you know, ran this into the ground. Yeah. And hopefully yeah. people will start showing up and voting. And for every person that says, you know, legal cannabis is too expensive, well, show up and vote. Show up and write. Go yeah. to the Board of Supervisors. Tell them to treat cannabis as an agricultural, as, you know, as agriculture. Yeah. Uh, and they, we need to get out there and make sure that they hear us because... The people who are against cannabis have nothing better to do, and they're out there lobbying against us every day. They, they write are. letters every day. They show up at the Board of Supervisors and complain every day. And That's they're true. not seeing our community out there. Only the, the farmers and the business owners are there. We need the community that the, that support us to show up and help lobby. Yeah, because the, 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 to a certain extent, the battle is still going on, right? It hasn't been fully won, to your point, and people need to oh, accept it. we haven't it. won anything yet. In fact, no. we're, you know, we've had the DEA and the ONCDP, and we've had the military, and we've had the entirety of the U.S. government and Congress sending helicopters and gunships and police and everybody after us for 80 friggin' years, yep. and they haven't been able to stop us. But you put a few pencil-pushing bureaucrats in charge regulating cannabis, and it destroyed us all. Yeah, yeah, and so exactly. We're, we're we're still deep in the fight. We haven't yeah. won anything, and we have now in California. We have New York that are making it uh, better laws than California. Yeah, yeah, and we're not leading the way. We're we're taking a bunch of punches from big money, and we need to stand up and show how this community is and how we need to let this industry be. Man. Very well put. Very well put. We're all about supporting it, man. Cameron, I want to thank you as always, man. We'll be in touch because, again, I love I love the people you work with and anyone you support, I support. So I look forward to circling and, and having a few of uh, a few of your friends on to join as well and hear their story because it's all about making a difference. I mean, we have to keep the community strong, to your point, to keep moving forward to where we need to be. So thank you again for joining me. Thanks for taking your time out. And in uh, jumping on the call, we'll have to check back in and follow when the girls come down. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Lance. Appreciate it. Uh, anytime we can be of help. All right. Perfect. Thanks, man. We'll catch up with you soon. Easy. All right. All righty, guys. Well, thank you again. That was another episode of Cure to Consumption here on the Hayes Radio Network. I want to thank you guys for tuning in and joining us in our conversation. We look forward to catching up next time. In the meantime, good vibes. Thanks, guys. You're listening to 
Hayes Radio Network. Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. 